Hey friends, my name is Ryan Hughley. I'm lead pastor of Ridgeline Church in Salt Lake City, Utah, and I want to welcome you to our podcast. We're working to build a community position to experience God in daily life. Our weekly teaching is one piece of that work. So as you listen to this week's message, my prayer is that you would hear God inviting you to respond to his love and his desire for you. For more information, you can visit ridgeline.church. Well, we, uh, as I mentioned, we're, we're uh, in the midst of a season as a church family of learning how, how do we position our lives to better experience God in daily life. Um, and so I just want to kind of catch us up to where we've been in case uh, you've missed any part of that. And some of you might be here for the first time. Um, but basically what, what we've looked at in week one, we, we saw how Jesus offers all of us so much more than what we are oftentimes experiencing. And then, and then that is most true and that he offers us his presence, that he is with us at all times in all places. And, and we are invited uh, into a relationship with him where we become more aware of his movement in our life day to day. And so my hope and my prayer has been that as we've listened to the last couple of weeks, that the spirit of God would be stirring inside of us and that we would be more and more catching a vision for what could be, that we're catching Jesus' vision for what he wants, and that there would be this like holy discontent inside of our hearts with where we've been. That there would be this longing inside of us that would say, I want more than what I have experienced with God in the past. And so, <clears throat> as is often the case, when it comes to things of great value, like this more that Jesus invites us to, as is often the case, there is a cost that comes with that. We are not invited by Jesus to live however we want. We're not invited by Jesus to run at whatever pace that we want. We're not invited by Jesus to set our attention and our affection wherever we want and then experience this flourishing life that he has promised to us. He invites us into this life, but it does come with a cost. There's something specific, a specific way of life that he invites us to. And as I have thought about that this week, I thought about how frequently this is true. Significant reward requires sizable sacrifice. That's true in almost every capacity, that significant reward requires, requires sizable sacrifice. And so think about, I want you to think about, I know not everybody's like super into sports, but I just want you to think about the cost of being an elite athlete, okay? That doesn't, I mean, unless you play like, I don't know. I can't even think of like shuffleboard. Maybe like, maybe that is like a natural. Th I don't, I don't play shuffle. If I, if I just offended you because you're really serious about shuffleboard, I apologize. But in general, if you're going to be an, an elite athlete, it comes with a significant cost. For instance, do you know the average collegiate athlete? So this is just college, not even pro. The average co uh, collegiate athlete spends 25 to 40 hours a week training in addition to school and, and everything else that's going on in their lives. Then when you think about pro sports, uh, two-thirds of pro athletes wake up before 6 a.m. That right there is like the number one reason that most of us are not pro athletes. <laughs> and then 27% report waking up before 4 a.m. to train. Nuh-uh, that's right. I mean, I wake up early, but 4 a.m. is not happening for me. 27%. 91% uh, of pro athletes say they train on vacation 
spending at least one third of their total vacation time training for whatever their, their sport is. And you've probably heard this before, but it's said that it takes on average about 10,000 hours to become proficient at something. So do you know that if you like do the math on that, if you spend just two hours a day working on that, you're looking at 13.7 years before you become proficient at a task. Now, my point in that is just to say that significant reward requires sizable sacrifice. And what's interesting, if you read, there's been some uh, studies that have been done, and when you read interviews with these elite athletes, oftentimes when they are asked about, like, how is it that you're able to sacrifice so much? Do you know that almost every single time they say the same thing? Oh, it doesn't, it's not really a sacrifice, it's a choice. It's a choice for what I want most. Almost every time, that's the response. Oh, this isn't really a, I don't think of it as a sacrifice. It's just a choice that I make because there's something else that I want more. And so Jesus, in this season, is guiding us toward what I believe is this deep longing inside of us. And we've looked at various uh, promises from him over the last couple of weeks, but this is where he's, he's guiding us. And what's important for us to see is that he is the true source of everything that we long for. And our problem is oftentimes we work to satiate these deep longings inside of us. We work to satiate those by running to, to the wrong source, running to sources that might satisfy momentarily, but it doesn't stay with us because it's not really what we were actually designed for. And so this morning, as we come to our text, Jesus is going to hold out an offer, an invitation to, this, to satisfy this deep longing that does exist inside of us. And he's going to invite us to a choice. And so the question that I want to put in front of us and that I, I pray that the Spirit of God would just continue to rattle around inside of our hearts and minds is this, am I willing We've seen these promises from Jesus. My guess is we feel some sense of longing toward these things, but the question really is, am I willing to say yes to the invitation despite the cost? And so I want to look at that together this morning. So we're going to be in John chapter 15. If you have a Bible with you, us, uh, with you, with you not with us, you brought your own. We don't have a collective Bible here. That would be weird. Uh, but hopefully you have your own. And so uh, open up to John 15. If not, the text is going to be on the screen. Uh, so this is yet another example in John's gospel of, of Jesus uh, talking to his disciples, instructing them on how to live his way. And, uh, and so let's just jump right in and then we'll, we'll kind of look at some context surrounding it. This is John chapter 15, uh, verses 1 and 2. Jesus says this. He says, I am the true vine. And my father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. And he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. So I don't know how much you know about the method that Jesus used uh, as a teacher, but his MO was basically to take these very everyday things that surrounded his audience and to use them as metaphors or illustrations for these deep spiritual truths. And that's exactly what we see Jesus doing right here. So I just picture Jesus sitting with his disciples outside somewhere, which was kind of his thing. And, uh, and as he, he's looking around and talking to them, he notices uh, a vineyard. Uh, 
uh, that would have been close to them, which was a really common sight, is a really common sight. Uh, if you don't know, Israel still has a very thriving wine industry. And actually, researchers have found over 120 uh, um, grapes that are indigenous to that area. So it's super normal for people to be out and about in Jerusalem, in Israel, in that surrounding area, and to see these vineyards everywhere. And so Jesus is sitting with his disciples, and he most likely sees a farmer who is carefully tending for his vineyard. And this, this farmer would have been doing two things. He's walking up and down these aisles of vines, and he's looking at grapes, and every, every branch that he sees on a vine that's dead and not producing fruit he's clipping off and getting rid of. And the ones that are producing fruit, he's carefully pruning so that they will produce more fruit. And so what Jesus does is he goes, man, you guys, I mean, these people would have walked by these vineyards all of the time. But Jesus holds up these two different kinds of branches. He says that there are dead branches. And so I've, I mean, I've been a Christian long enough to know I've seen people come into the church and to hang out for a while, but never really develop an actual relationship with God. People come to church for a myriad of different reasons. We should never, you should as Christians, never make the assumption that everybody you see in this room is always a, a devout disciple of Jesus. We're like all over the place. And that's how it's supposed to be. And that's how it was in Jesus' day too. But I've seen people come into churches who are there for, again, any number of reasons, never really cultivate a, a relationship with Jesus for themselves, and then it ends up being just that, just a season where they're not there anymore. And then at the same time, Jesus pictures God as father, as the farmer, who also prunes the branches that are bearing fruit so that they will bear more. And if you are here and you're a follower of Jesus, my guess is you have probably experienced some season in your life, it's pretty continual where God has pruned certain things in your life. Where there are loves and affections and priorities that maybe even at one time in our life were fine and produced fruit, but they're, they're not effective for producing fruit going into the future. And, and more and more, you know, I think when I, when I look at kind of where we've been as like the big C Western church over the last 18 months, I don't know how much you've been paying attention to what's been going on inside the Christian church. Hasn't been an awesome year and a half for us. I don't know if you've, are you not sure? Like we haven't looked great is what I'm saying. Like it just hasn't been awesome when you look at the thing as a whole. And I have found, I don't know about you, but I've, I've, as a pastor, I do pay careful attention to that and I've found it very discouraging because so much of what I see is out of step with what Jesus says it means to be a fo his follower, to be a disciple. But more and more, I find myself feeling less and less discouraged and here's why. I, I believe that what God is doing inside of so many of us is actually just pruning. So I, I don't, I'm hearing so much, like you've probably even heard this word, the word deconstruction is very, very popular right now. I'm getting to the point where it has like an involuntary, like throw up in my mouth sound when I hear it. Mainly because it's like an Inigo Mantoya kind of word, like you keep using that word, but I don't think it means what you think it means. So every Christian who's having a bad day is like, I'm just deconstructing. No, no, probably not. Now, some people are go, have gone through, sadly, have gone through a, a really overt deconstructive process and they have deconstructed straight out of the Christian faith. I have friends that have done that and it's heartbreaking and it's hard and it's sad. But just because you might be in a season where 
you don't feel like your spiritual life is thriving doesn't necessarily mean you're like slowly deconstructing out of the faith. It could just be that God's pruning you. And I think that so much of the shakeup that has taken place over the last 18 months within Christianity, the truth is, by and large, it's good. I believe that God's doing a tremendous pruning work in the church in the West. The thing is, we got a bad habit of romanticizing pruning. Imagine being the branch. It's not awesome. You're getting stuff clipped off you. That, like that hurt my, my son, Lincoln, every time we have to clip his toenails, you would think that we were trying to torture him and they have no feeling. So, so just um, when you, but imagine being the branch, like it's not, pruning is not romantic. Pruning is often painful. And so what if so many of the doubts that you might be struggling with, so many of the uncertainties that you might be carrying right now in your faith, what if God's just pruning you for greater fruit, uh, fruitfulness. I believe that by and large, that's what he's doing. And in fact, if you are a follower of Jesus, that is what he's doing. Because he promises to finish the work that he starts in us. We just have to be careful not to romanticize passages like this and think that pruning's not going to be painful. Because oftentimes, it really, really is. And so I want you to notice then that, that as Jesus is teaching, it's almost like he's, he's very worried that they're going to misunderstand what he's talking about. So he throws in this next verse that kind of feels like, well, that doesn't have anything to do with the last one, but it does. Listen to this. So he's just said, uh, I am the true vine. The Father is the gardener. Every branch of me that does not produce fruit, he removes and he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. Then verse three, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Every once in a while, Jesus is like, I'm tracking, I'm tracking, I'm tracking. And then it's like, hard stop. What are, where did this come from? How does this connect? And here's what's happening. Jesus does not want them to hear what he's t- uh, talking about here and hear this as one more way that they can make themselves beautiful enough to be accepted by God. That's the re- they lived in a very religious culture that was very works-based. I do certain things so that I will be loved and accepted by God. And that is the exact same culture that exists in every religious environment for all of time. And and Christian churches are just as prone to it as, as anything else, where we think like, I go to church so that God will love me. I serve so that God will love me. I give so that God will love me. We don't do anything so that God will love us. God made you, he set his affection on you, and Jesus, instead, the word that he talks about, the message that he proclaimed, is a grace that we receive. That's what's so maddening about the misnomer that we have to clean ourselves up before we come to God. If you could clean yourself up before you come to God, there would be no Jesus, no reason for Jesus to have given his life in your place. What was the point of that? Just to make up the the necessary 2% that you couldn't. We're offered this message of grace that we receive. That's what Jesus holds out. And so he does not want them receiving this instruction as if this is about, like Jesus, he's like, I'm not saying this is how you get right with God. This is not about justification. Jesus is saying, this is how we grow. And he wants to make sure that that's clear in their minds. And I want to make sure it's clear in our mind, that it's clear for us. 
And then he gives them this very simple invitation. Look at verse four. Jesus says, remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. So <clears throat> the key word appears over and over and over again, really in John 14, all the way through John 15, is this word remain. And that English word remain, com- remain comes from a Greek word, meno. And the word meno is important for us to understand. It means to continue, and it is specifically an active imperative. Do you know what that means? Raise your hand if you were terrible at English growing up, grammar. I text with some of you, I know. Some of us are still not great at it, okay? <laughs> we got some weird texting habits that have creeped in. We could all use a good grammar class. But an imperative is a call to action. So it's not a passive, just sit back, do nothing. This is an, this is an invitation to action that we would continue in this pattern of living that positions us to experience relationship with Jesus. That's what he means by remain. I love the way that Eugene Peterson translates this verse in the message. He says, live in me, make your home in me, just as I do in you. So Jesus has this picture of like, if I know nothing about gardening, I know that if you rip a branch off of like the main thing, that branch is going to die, right? You don't just like rip it off and stick it in the ground and then it's fine by itself. It has to remain attached to the source of its life. And Jesus is saying, when we don't remain in him, when we don't meno, when we don't abide and continue to position our lives in a way that we are in relationship with him, our souls wither. And so this sounds to me like a life that is very much centered on Jesus, that all of life actually revolves around him. So I just want you to think for a second about like a wheel, okay? At the center of a wheel is a hub. And then attached to that hub is spokes that hold that wheel in place. And everything in that wheel revolves around the hub. And and here's why I want us to have that in our minds as a picture. Every heart has a hub. Your heart has a hub, something that all of the rest of your life revolves around. And you were created and uniquely designed by God for him to be that hub. And when our lives get misordered and the effects of sin in our lives is it misorders that and it puts something else as our hub. And then our entire lives become misaligned. And so I would invite you for just a second to consider this morning, what's your hub? When you think about where you spend your time, when you think about what is your mind most frequently preoccupied with? What are the things that you most consistently worry about or that trouble you? Those are important things for us to pay attention to because 
with a little bit of discernment and the Spirit's help, we can begin to see, oh, what's really going on here is that, that, that my heart is misordered. It's misaligned. And something or someone besides Jesus has become my hub, and that's why life's not flourishing in the way that God intended for me. And so what's your hub? It might be a, your job. It could be your kids. If you're a parent, it's very common for parents. It could be some other relationship in your life. It could be security, like I gotta have security. And so all of my life is oriented around experiencing security in my life. What's your hub? What is it that sits at the center of your heart and the rest of your life revolves around? Because unless Jesus sits at the center, we are not remaining in him. And the very clear problem with that, as he's said, is we can't produce the fruit that we long for ultimately and that he intends for us apart from living lives that are positioned with him at the hub. And so next, as we keep going, then Jesus connects this to our prayer lives. Look at verse seven. He says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. Now, we love like the latter half of that, the promise of that, right? Just tell me what you want and I'll give it to you. We love that. We just have this real bad habit of like super skipping the first half, which is real critical to the latter half. He says, if you remain in me and if my words remain in you. So if I'm at the center, if I'm your hub, then ask whatever you want and I'll give it to you. As I was spending time with this verse in particular this week, I was just reminded, you know, that Jesus' position toward us is always the same. It's always care. You ever wonder, like, what is Jesus' position toward me right now in my life? Okay, we're all in various seasons. We got a bunch of different things all going on in our lives. But if collectively, if we were to ask the question, what is Jesus' posture toward us as individuals right now, regardless of our season, regardless of what's going on? It's always the same. It's care. He is caring for us. He is pruning. He is working. He is sustaining. He is providing. But he is always intent on our care. And the problem is oftentimes what we think would feel like care and what Jesus knows to be care are not always the same thing. And so how often are we not positioned in life with Jesus as the hub, with Jesus as the center, and then we pray for something that in truth would just further empower us to live with something other than Jesus as the hub, and then Jesus doesn't answer that prayer, and then we're like, what the heck, Jesus? What about John 15, 7? <laughs> He's like, well... There's a whole sentence. You don't just get to skip the first half. See, the truth is Jesus will never empower us to live apart from him. Never. And so my, my, uh, my boys, I know, especially my son Ryder, if, if, if he could have anything right now, I think it would probably be a phone. Like he would just be so pumped about having a phone. I'm sure Lincoln would too. He's in the back. You can ask him afterwards. I'm sure he would love to answer your questions about that. And so, uh, but here's what I know, and you probably know this too. There is a, a mounting uh, mount. Uh, that's just a redundancy. 
There is a growing mountain of evidence that points to uh, kids being on social media, kids being on phones, and all of like, that. that's not a healthy thing. And so as a result of that, um, we say no, they don't have phones yet. But like, I can tell you this, if they ever come and they're like, hey, can we talk? I'm never like, no. They're like, can I have a glass of water? We never say no. We're like, no, you're going to learn to be thirsty. It's an important part of growing up. <laughs> if they come and they say, hey, is it okay if we go read? We're always like, Phew. yeah, I mean, it's great that you can. I think that's awesome. Because those things are good for them. Those things are good for them. And so we never hesitate to say yes to those things. And the reality is that there are many things that we, and they may not even, like when we, when we pray, some of the things that we may be asking for are not in and of themselves bad. Like my guess is very few of us are actually praying that God would give us sinful things, right? That'd be pretty weird. But oftentimes we are praying for things and that the reason that we want them or the effect that they would have on us is not healthy, is not good, would not further put Jesus at the center of our lives. And so as a result, Jesus says no. And that's hard and it's uncomfortable, but he will never withhold things that are good from us. And so God's no to our prayers is always another example of his care for us. And so then Jesus ties this all together at the end in verse eight. And he says, my father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. The highest goal of every human life is to glorify God. It's what we were made for. And we glorify him by producing fruit, by becoming more and more the people created us to be, people who look and sound and love and serve like Jesus. And the way that Jesus teaches us to produce that fruit is by remaining in him, to learning to position our lives with him at the center. And so our big idea, just to summarize these last eight verses, is this. Uh, life flourishes when we remain faithfully positioned for relationship with Jesus. Now, flourish does not mean that life is easy, but we produce the fruit of character and virtue that Jesus intends when our lives remain faithfully positioned for relationship with Jesus. And so I think that that brings us to this question of like, okay, how, right? We've been talking about this pretty consistently for three weeks in a row. And so how collectively, if we're trying to learn, how do we position ourselves as a community where for a type of relationship where we experience God in the day-to-day -day of life, how are we going to do that together? And then I believe that when you survey the scriptures, that we see really three essential rhythms that must make up the Christian life to experience transforming relationship with Jesus. There are so many different expressions of practice when it comes to faith and, and all of that is good. There are three things I really do think if you remove one of these, the soul begins to shrivel and the life does not thrive. So here are the three where, where we're going to put all of our time and our effort and our energy into the, learning how to live in these three rhythms together. It's very, very simple. It is weekly worship. And I just, can I pause there for a second? Um, the weekly is really important there. It's not monthly worship. It's weekly worship. It's not annual worship. 
like, oh, it's their anniversary. We better, better go to church today. Or Christmas and Easter, like, you know, there's, we call them creasters, people who go to church on Christmas and Easter. God bless you. We're glad you're here on those two days, but we're here every week. And we would love to have you here for us. There is something so critical about us coming together every single week to be encouraged, to be built up, to be corrected, to be pruned. We need that more than just once a month. And so weekly worship is the first one. The second one is formative friendship, which we're going to talk more about in the weeks to come, a particular type of relationship with one another that is intent on growing to be like Jesus together. And it is completely countercultural to virtually every other form of community that exists on the planet. And then thirdly, is learning to sit with God for ourselves. So no longer needing a pastor or a priest or anybody else in your life to mediate your relationship with God because you have one. Jesus came to give you direct access to himself. Not through me, not through any leader, but because he wants relationship with you. So weekly worship, formative friendship, and sitting with God. And the combination of these three practices has been transforming lives for thousands of years. This isn't, this isn't new. I didn't just was not like with a whiteboard this week going, hmm, what's something creative I can come up with? This was my glasses, if you were wondering. I was pushing them up. <laughs> this has been Jesus' way for 2,000 years. Literally since the beginning, Christians have been gathering on Sunday for worship. They have been scattering for formative friendship and they have been sitting and relating with God throughout their week. That's how transforming relationship is built. And so the real question that this boils down to is again, am I willing? Am I willing to position my life for this? Am I willing to make these three practices my priority? Because apart from being willing to do that, we just, again, can't bemoan the fact that it's just like, it just seems like I don't really have a relationship with God right now. Almost every single time, it's because something positionally is out of alignment in our lives. You know, the weather's finally getting cooler. Can I get an amen? amen. Oof, it has been hella hot this summer. <clears throat> so it's finally, finally starting to cool off. And so um, one of my favorite things about our, our new house we got is that they had already built a fire pit in the back, which is great because if I had tried, we would have already burned the house down. <laughs> and so this week it, we had a night that was cooler. And so we had like our first fire uh, together, which was awesome. And uh, my kids had gone back inside and I was sitting out by this fire as it was dying down. And there was a point at which this log was sitting in the fire and the flame had burned all the way down and there was just embers uh, running along this log. And so uh, I grabbed a stick and I just repositioned this log, just like flipped it over. And it was amazing because just within moments it was burning, the flame was burning hotter and clearer than it had at any point throughout the night. All because this log just got repositioned. So I was watching that happen. I was sitting back and looking at the fire and had this sense of God saying, that's what I want to do with you. That's what he wants to do with us. 
is that maybe what we have in our lives right now is like this shrieking ember. And maybe there's been a time in our lives where we felt like there was a flame. But for whatever reason, or the number of reasons that we've all experienced over the last couple of years, it just feels like that flame has burned down. I believe that all God really wants to do is just slowly, patiently reposition our lives so that that flame can grow clearer and burn hotter than it ever has before. And I really want to be clear that I want to work hard. Like we're, we're on this journey through the fall. One of my favorite things about God that I've been trying to learn is like God just is never in a rush. And he's not impatient with you. Like, right, if you, if you feel like, man, I just, I'm struggling right now or growth is happening slow, God's position towards you is not like mine is so often, which is like, why aren't you getting this faster? Why is this taking you so long? That's never God's posture toward us. He's not in a hurry. He lives outside of time, so he's not bound by it in the way that we are. And so I want us to be very patient as we move through the fall. And so this morning, I don't have some big, grand, radical invitation to uproot your entire life and and that's what it's going to mean to reposition. Instead, what we're going to do is just week after week after week, the Spirit of God is going to make small invites to us. And if we continue to say yes to those invitations, no matter how small they may seem, then with time, we're going to look back and go, oh my gosh, God has completely repositioned my life from where it was a month ago, six months ago, a year ago. But it happens by saying yes to small invitations. And so my invitation to you is come back next week. (laughs) Because that's a big step for some of us. But let's just commit to saying yes to every invitation that the spirit poses to us, trusting that he knows what he's doing. My, my hope is to like, I think pastorally, your responsibility is to like serve as a guide for people. But more than anything, I just pray that the spirit of God would guide us on this journey. Because again, he has promised that he will finish what he started in us. And he is at work and he is making invitations to us. And so my encouragement to you would be to take some time again this week to reflect on everything that we've talked about today. So in the Church Center app, there's a fresh batch of reflection questions. Spend time with those over the course of the the week. Don't let this time that we spend together on Sunday mornings be like the end of it. Let's allow God to stir in our hearts on Sunday mornings when we sit together so that then when we're relating with him throughout the week, he's just sorting out everything that he's been saying to us on Sundays over the course of that week. And then as we do that in community, we're participating in these three rhythms of weekly worship, sitting with God, and formative friendship. And my promise to you is that slowly with time, we will change and we will have an increased awareness of Jesus' presence in our day-to-day lives. And that's what we're after. But it all boils down to your answer to the simple question, am I willing. Let me pray for us. And then I forgot to mention this at the outset, but we'll do some Q&A. So if at any point uh, something I've said this morning has prompted a question for you, there's a number that's up on the screen. 
You can text uh, those questions in and we'll take the next, I don't know, five, 10 minutes and I'll answer as many of those as we have time for, all right? Let me pray for us and then we'll do some Q&A. Father, I thank you that that even though we are not always as committed to our relationship with you as we, as we should be, that you are extremely committed to relationship with us. And so even when we don't, we're not bringing intention to our relationship with you, you are still working in us. And somehow you are using all of our circumstances, everything that happens outside of us, everything that goes on inside of us, that you are caring for us, that you are pruning us. And sometimes, admittedly, Lord, we are just unaware of it. And it feels like you're far. And we question whether or not you are present or even real. And we are not hearing your voice. But Lord, I know and I believe that even though things feel that way and look that way, you are still always at work. And you are always caring for us. And so, Jesus, we, we want to learn what it means to remain in you, to abide in you, to continue to live in such a way that we are positioned to have deep, meaningful, transforming relationship with you. And we know that will require sacrifice and change on our part, but more than anything, Lord, what it really demands from us is a choice. Do we really want you? And I pray, God, that you would fan into flame that longing inside of us. That we would desire more with you than what we have and even are experiencing. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are, you are our patient, gentle, kind guide. And that it is you that is forming us more and more in Christ's image. And so I pray that you would just continue to prompt invitations in our hearts and empower us to say yes to those. We love you and we need you and we want to experience you more and more. And so we pray that you would guide us in this process. In Jesus' name, amen.